there is a the moment where you hold your breath because you don't know necessarily where the conversation is going to go. They can go get away from you, freak, which is almost your worst case scenario where it could end the relationship. Or they may raise their eyebrow and go, hmm, interesting. <laughs> which is a really good sign. <laughs> Welcome to Wild and Sublime, a sexy spin on infotainment, no matter your preferences, orientation, or relationship style. Based on the popular live Chicago show, each week I'll chat about sex and relationships with citizens from the world of sex positivity. You'll hear meaningful conversation, dialogues that go deeper, and information that can help you become more free in your sexual expression. I'm sex educator Karen Yates. Today, our panelists discuss how to be open-minded in bed, plus audience questions. Keep listening. If you're a Wild and Sublime fan and love our show, support our work by joining the Afterglow, our Wild and Sublime community on Patreon. Starting at $5 a month, you get a bonus Q&A session with sexperts every month where you get to ask the questions, my weekly audio creator notes, and more. Plus, you'll get wave upon wave of satisfaction knowing you are helping us out every time you listen to our podcast. If a monthly membership is not your thing, consider throwing some bucks in the tip jar in appreciation for our work. More info is in the show notes. Hey, folks, I don't talk about this a lot, but you might know that I am alcohol and drug free, especially if you've been listening in the past couple of months. It's been coming up a little bit more in my interviews. So yesterday uh, was my 33rd anniversary. And in case you're like, what? 33 years sober? (laughs) I got sober in uh, my early 20s, just uh, after college. And I wasn't really sure. I thought, yeah, should I even mention this on the podcast? I wasn't even sure that I was going to bring it up, but I am becoming very, very aware, and maybe you are too, because it's getting covered in the media about how this pandemic has caused an explosion in people taking to mood altering substances and also compulsively overeating to ease their anxiety, their depression, isolation, and all the feelings that we have been going through in this mass event. Now, I'm not going to say much here, except that my life massively improved when I stopped looking to substances to make me feel better, and then sought ongoing and consistent support from others in changing my thinking and taking different action. In other words, really committing to myself in the most beneficial way I knew possible. It was not easy, but the alternatives were much worse. You might immediately uh, say, hey, Karen, uh, I've got it under control. And that's great. But I do want to ask you, what about it, whatever you're doing, do you need to control? Why does it need controlling? If you are interested in taking action for yourself or you have someone in your life that might have a problem, we have included a few links in the show notes. So moving on, today we'll be hearing a discussion that occurred at our last live show in March 2020 in Chicago about staying open-minded in bed, especially staying open-minded to your own impulses. This conversation covers conventional sex and kink and how to really listen to yourself. You'll be hearing from sexologist Joe Flannery and kink and relationship coach Peter, also known as Makes Things Happen. Enjoy. So let's talk about staying teachable and open-minded in bed, which is the theme of what we're discussing right now. Before folks venture into expanding their sexual skills or their kink repertoire, what are some of the inner issues that 
you have seen or have experienced yourself that usually need to get addressed before kind of an expansion can start happening? In the early days, you know, I, I have various kink disciplines now, but in the early days, I used to get really stuck on the why. Why do I like doing a topping for impact? Why do I like pet play? Why do I do these things? And you end up getting stuck in a mental loop where you're so much caught up in the why, you never get past the how or the who or the what. So I think it's necessary to have the conversation with yourself and be comfortable in yourself with, let me put aside the why for now and focus on the how and the who and the what. Of getting to what you want, like getting to achieve the goal. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, I'm this way because of my mother or my father, or I remember that time when, oh, is that it? And just go, yeah. The funny thing is you will accidentally discover the why as you continue your journey. Yeah, right, right. So I was going to say paying attention to what's going on inside of you and feeling out your boundaries for yourself. Where do you want to start and want someone else to stop? And so once you feel comfortable with boundaries that you have, then you're able to put them in place with other people. And that can be a way to feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. with the experience. Yeah, put Um, them in place at the very beginning of either the sexual encounter or throughout. Yeah, yeah. But there's more to it, like finding the courage to stand up for yourself where you want to be and you want someone else to be, I guess. Externally, it looks like when you're doing kink and BDSM, you're seeing all the flash, you're seeing the interaction, you're seeing the people. It's external. However, this is more of an internal journey. You're actually discovering a lot about yourself. You know, I, I used to be, you know, emotionally closed off, did not get in touch with my emotions, just typical alpha dude. And I discovered at some point during my kink journey that I had to learn to be vulnerable. And I had to ask myself some tough questions. And I had to do things that I thought I would never do so that I can open myself up to truly be with someone. Mm -hmm. And as a result of being in BDSM and kink for over seven years, I'm a much better person overall And this was kind of the medium I used to get there. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing to me about talking about kink, especially in a crowd that's mixed between kinky and non-kinky people, is that so many things that that kink folk do or experience, it's transferable skills. Everything is transferable and like what you learn and communication, I mean, that all is completely the same for people who don't engage in kink play or beneficial. I wanted to ask you both, what can folks do to add knowledge? So I guess explore, explore your edges, explore porn, do some reading if you'd like. It's not super common. I think it's more common in the kinky and the poly community to talk about sex and talk about what you like. But otherwise, sex, there's still a lot of shame around it. And so just kind of opening yourself up to have those conversations and see if you can learn something that way. Right. The dialogue Mm -hmm. can be so critical because I think when you're partnered with someone, there's an assumption. Like, especially if you've been with someone a long time. If there's this deep assumption, like, I know this person, I know what they like, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, you're having your inner journey, right? You're having all this shit like, oh, I really wish he or she would do this or they would do this. And, and the other person is assuming the same thing about you, mm-hmm. right? 
right? When that's not necessarily true, right? You don't know someone else completely and wholly. So there's always something new to explore there. Give them the opportunity to be someone different. Yeah, I, I mentioned being vulnerable. It's difficult to tell a longtime partner or a new partner or partner (laughs) that you're into something a little untraditional. So let's say you uh, really get off on being spanked. And of course, there's a whole lot of negative connotation involved in that. And it's strange and shameful. You can put a whole bunch of negative attributes to it. So in order for you to talk to your partner and say, okay, I really would like to be spanked or I really would like to spank you, there is a moment where you hold your breath because you don't know necessarily where the conversation is going to go. They can go get away from you, freak, which is almost your worst case scenario where it could end the relationship because you're so far out of whack. Or they may raise their eyebrow and go, hmm. Interesting, which is a really good sign. (laughs) Joe, when we talk about couples, what advice do you give to folks when one person in the relationship is the adventurous one and they want to go out and they want to try shit sexually and they want to and they want their other they're pulling their partner like, you know, the ball and chain like, come on, come on. What advice would you give to that person? I would say to have patience in a relationship like that is really important to give the other person the opportunity to learn about what you like and take some of that anxiety and that fear out of it. Once the other person might know more and the more patience that's there when they're not on such a tight leash, (laughs) kind of a joke, the more freedom there is for them to see how they fit into the situation and what they may enjoy and where their edges are. And what would you say to the person who is the person who's being pulled? What advice would you give to that person? Is that something, first of all, is that something that they want to be doing? Do they want to be pulled? And if they do, you know, it's all baby steps and just kind of learning along the way. And um, there's always an opportunity to do more or do less. And so if you want to take a step back, that's okay too. It's really about baby steps, I think. So Peter, I'd like for you to take this question for poly and open relationships. Why is that? (laughs) (laughs) But if, say, like one person has had, I find this a really interesting question. If one person has had like a sexual learning experience with one partner and then wants to bring it back to the other partner, it seems to me there can sometimes be a little tension. How do you think is the most elegant way to bring back learning from, say, another partnership? There's no elegant way. There's no smooth way to do it. So get that out of your head. What's important is actually being in a relationship where you feel comfortable having that conversation. There's no smooth. I've been doing this a long time and I'm not smooth at those type of conversation. I have all kinds of stuff I want to try. But I think one of my greatest strengths is I'm not afraid to ask what I'm looking for. And I encourage, require that my partners have the same type of attitude. And I think, you know, you were talking about as a couple, one person's pulling someone and the other one's resistant The actual act, the actual kink, the actual thing doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. What matters is actually the shared governing values of the relationship, open communication, being able to negotiate, being vulnerable, sex. Is sex important? Is sex not important? How important is it to each other and where do we overlap? When you have the basics covered, 
which is all about the relationship and an ongoing thing day to day, hour to hour. So it's not like it's done and you move on. But when you have that kind of foundation, it's much easier to go, hey, rope, what do you think? (laughs) Right. And and even if your partner goes, no freaking way am I going to do that, that's okay. It's absolutely okay because then you negotiate what you can do. Okay, well, maybe not rope. How about handcuffs? It doesn't matter what the task is, what the actual kink is. It's the actual core of the relationship mm-hmm. that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joe, what about couples learning together? They both have the same interest in whatever, and they're going to go forth and they're going to explore something. Like they're going to take, they're going to go to Chicago Rope and take a rope class or something. What advice would you give to a couple just sailing in a new territory sexually? So you don't have to be on the same page, but staying in touch and making sure that you know where the other person is. I think that that's really important. I'll return to the panel in a moment. You can find more info on this topic in our episode, Four Steps to Ask for What You Want in Bed. The link to that is in our notes. And did you know that Wild and Sublime provides transcripts for all episodes? Go to the episode page on our website, wildandsublime.com, and the link for the transcript is below the audio player. Wild and Sublime is also sponsored in part by our Sublime supporter, Chicago-based Full Color Life Therapy. Therapy for all of you at FullColorLifeTherapy.com. If you would like to be a Sublime supporter showcasing you and your business and supporting us at the same time, contact us at info at WildAndSublime.com. We'll now hear questions from the live audience that Peter and Joe will answer. All right, panel. Coming back for questions. What was a kink that did not go over well? Interesting question. Let's split this into two things. What was a kink you tried with someone that didn't go over well? And what kink did you start exploring and realize, eh, not so much? I'll go first. So this was something that wasn't, it was not negotiated. I was younger and it was, my partner wanted me to humiliate him, like, during intercourse and that that just struck me and so I did and then later on we had we talked about it and how we have to talk about things beforehand and so that was like I mean if you ever just brought into something in the middle you're like whoa what the fuck then I'm like yeah slut like (laughs) but it was good It, it was okay we worked through it you were through it because you had maybe some of the basic things makes things happen was talking about earlier of like these overarching things were maybe present in the relationship. They were. Yeah, yeah. they were. Yeah, it was a nice relationship. I have a ongoing play partner that asked me to do wax play and wax play is basically pouring wax on her body. And I find it boring personally. So I've done it in the past and it was not really something that really engaged me. So. But she asked, and her and I have a very interesting relationship where it's like our IQs drop when we're together. We're incredibly silly. It's always laughing, always a lot of fun. So when she actually asked to do wax play, I was like, the only reason I'm doing this is because it's you, because I know it's boring, (laughs) and I know I'm not going to be into it, but we always have a good time. And it was actually incredibly a lot of fun. In fact, she, as we were doing it, she's talking me through how to do wax because I had really no experience with it. I still find the actual wax play itself boring. 
But that was a really fun scene because it was with someone who I already had a connection with, already played with, and, and we tried glitter play. Yeah, me and glitter. That totally <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> but because uh, I was open to doing this type of play, the play itself was cool, but the uh, experience that we had together was like really awesome. Okay. How do I reconcile being happy alone and the occasional desire for a romantic sexual relationship? Isn't true friendship more valuable? So reconcile being happy alone. And so I, you know, I think that the most important relationship we have in our lives is with ourselves, especially sexually. We need to know who we are sexually before we can share that part fully with someone else. So to just kind of develop your relationship with yourself, right? What do you think? Am I on the right track? Actually, there's uh, what I hear in this question is maybe a tension or a conflict between true friendship, being friends with people, and then occasionally fucking people. Like that, there's that there might be another belief in play that that it might be more valuable to have deeper, emotionally connective, sexual experiences, and they're they're at odds with friendship somehow. In my mind, the question is flawed. The premise is... We're not insulting you. Who no, are, no, who this, is, this is my point of view, and this is how I view my life, and this is how I, I do things, is that you're putting people, in particular, boxes, which means you're only my friend, and I can only do friend-like things with you, and you're only a sexual partner, and I can only be a sexual partner, and you're only going to be my spouse, and you'll just be my spouse, which... I did for the vast majority of my life. Over the last seven years, those lines have been blurred. I have play partners. I have play partners I have really deep connection with, but I don't necessarily call them a girlfriend type of scenario. In fact, the term I use is a plus. So you have a play partner or someone you meet every once in a while and you do kinky, cool, awesome things. Never a downside. Always awesome. And then I have people who I consider a plus. What's the difference? Well, if it's 3 a.m. and they were stuck on the highway and they called me and say, can you come get me a play partner? You're less likely to go. (laughs) Seriously. But a plus, you would get out of your pajamas. You would hop in your car, not think twice. Both are valid relationships. Both there's connection and both I would not do anything without. So I think just putting people in particular categories limits the experiences you have, limits the connections. I find that it multiplies your experiences or actually I think this it more what's not multiply. I'm trying to think. I'm thinking think of math term. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's there what you I'm thinking of. <laughs> Okay. I want to ask Joe, a couple of folks, one person wanted to have more vulnerability, learning the skill of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. One person wanted to be more present. Can you speak to either one of those? So being more vulnerable and being more present, uh, I think both have to do with having some courage to move away from your anxiety, maybe be in a space that's uncomfortable. And so I'll just go back to being with yourself. So if you're going to be vulnerable with someone else, you have to be comfortable being vulnerable with yourself. And so uh, I think that's kind of the starting point. And then also courage, which I think Peter was talking about earlier, like having the courage to get out of the whys of your mind and move into action. And so there has to be some sort of 
place where you're like just ready to to do it, just ready to be brave and be vulnerable like that, I'd say. I confused for many, many years that being vulnerable meant being weak. And I have discovered that being vulnerable is actually an ultimate form of being strong. You know, I'm human. I have multiple partners and and they have partners. And for me to admit that I feel jealous because I feel jealous, because I'm human, that was always tough for me because, you know, I'm, you know, badass Dom. I'm not supposed to have any emotions. You know, everything is, you know, cool. Everyone does their own thing. And then to say, hey, wait a minute, they're going out on a date with someone and I feel possessive. I feel jealous. And then for me to say out loud, hey, just so you're aware, I'm feeling jealous. You don't have to do anything. I don't want you to cancel the date. I don't want you to do anything. I'm just expressing how I feel. That is incredibly uh, vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of strength to go, this is how I feel. And it took me a long time to realize that. And also thinking about being present For me, this idea of being more present in bed is really about connecting to my body and becoming very aware of what is my body doing in this moment, connecting to my breath, really feeling my body, because that that person was also talking about getting out of routines. And I think these two things are really aligned in that the more you're in your body, the more you can actually sense the impulses in bed with a partner that you want to be taking. You can feel like these tiny little, they're almost like twitches. They're almost like, I, I want to do this. I want to touch this person this way. Or I want to, and, and it's like, it's all because you're really connect, being connected through breathing, through just body awareness. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of staying present. Yeah, and I think playing with your different senses, too, helps you to stay right. present. So if you feel like you're getting more in your mind, you can pay attention to right. what your fingertips are on, what you smell, maybe taking a sense away and really feeling into your body helps you to stay present. Yeah. And I'll say it, playing with yourself is also very important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'm reminded that I didn't get to all of the prompts that are in my pocket, but they will be on Instagram. One of them was the desire to learn how to orgasm without ejaculating, which the first steps for that are masturbating. You, you learn by masturbating, not by with a partner. Forget that. That's not going to work. You got you to be by yourself to teach yourself how to do that. So thank you so much, panelists. <laughs> to learn more about Joe Flannery and Peter, go to the show notes. The work I do in biofield tuning, an energy modality that uses sound waves to help repattern your bioelectric field, can support you in getting out of stuck behaviors and becoming more aware of different choices. If you are interested in working with me remotely or in person or learning more about my weekly group biofield tuning sessions on Zoom on a variety of topics, including balancing your energy centers, releasing anxiety and more, go to Karen-Yates.com. That link is in the show notes. Well, that's it, folks. Have a delightfully pleasurable week. Thank you for listening. If you know someone who might be interested in this episode, send it to them. Do you like what you heard? Then give us a nice review on your podcast app. You can follow us on social media at Wild and Sublime and sign up for newsletters at wildandsublime.com. I'd like to thank associate producer Julia Williams and design guru Jean-Francois Gervais. Theme music by David Ben Porat. This episode was edited by the Creative Imposter Studios. Our media sponsor is Rebellious Magazine. 
feminist media at rebelliousmagazine.com.